Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, the fifth element. In the year 2019, fashion is still depressingly quite boring. You have to start it again. Why? What year is it? Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been doing that work for a month, but yeah. In the year, in space year 2020, (laughs) fashion is still as boring as it's ever been. But in 1997, one director had the bold vision of a future that was sexy. Ooh la la! Of the films we've done so far, if I was going to fuck a film, This is the film I would fuck. (laughs) And what film is that? The Fifth Element. Ooh la la! Yeah, we're getting into French film today, man. (laughs) French film, French fries. So, like, in terms of the important people in this film, it's not the director, the actors, the effects guys. It's that they got Jean-Paul Gaultier in to design all the costumes. (laughs) (laughs) That's why... Nothing else looks like this. So this film is the fashion police. Yeah, this is... Well, because, like, that's the thing. You see, like, fashion shows, and they look fucking ridiculous. And then slowly over the next ten years, some of those elements drip into... So, uh, 300 years in the future, people are probably going to dress pretty outrageously. (laughs) And everyone here is dressed outrageously. But they also look pretty good. A lot of orange. There's orange, and there's, like, fishnet, and... But like, lots of orange. What's the word? Like, mesh stuff? Yeah. And they're just, like, Oprah jacket and a necktie? <laughs> Everyone looks dope. <laughs> <laughs> triple flipper. Like, every single costume in it is a total triple flipper. <laughs> yeah. Um, right before we started recording, you were, we were, you were asking about Bruce. Oh, you know, Die Hard's on my 80s. You know, I was an American teenager in the 1990s. Mm. We know what year what Willis. Right. Right? So, you know, um, it's 95, Die Hard with a Vengeance, 96, 12 Monkeys, 97, Fifth Element, 98, Armageddon. I mean, that run, that, that, was, that was like the cultural tentpole of those years. Yeah, yeah, Willis was the guy. For yeah. I, if, if it's Schwarzenegger and Stallone in like the 80s, the 90s is Willis, right? Mm. Does Keanu actually get a time? Well, Keanu kind of had two, right? Because he had the Matrix trilogy, and then there was a bit off the back of that, you know, Constantine, something like that. And then he's come back in a big way with John Wick. Yeah, but I'm just saying he doesn't get a decade like this. Well, no, I'd say, like, it's like Vin Diesel and The Rock's decade right now. Yeah, they're they they they're not as prolific, though. They are, I, well, The Rock is now. 
It took, okay. The Rock Vin took Diesel. a while to get there. Because, mm. like, when he first started making films, it's like, oh, he's the new Schwarzenegger, he's the new guy. And then, like, he kind of wasn't. And then he did Fast and Furious, and then off the back of that, it's just been like, bam, 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 hit, hit, hits. Yeah, I think the last one I actually watched was San Andreas. Sorry, took me. I was thinking of the GTA game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 the movie. Yeah, 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 the earthquake one, right? Yeah, 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 that was fun. It was totally stupid, but yes, it was a fun time. And I he, see he was a criminal skyscraper as well. That sounds fun, yeah. Is it a disaster movie? This is uh, this is not a disaster movie. This is some candy-coated... Sci-fi romp. Yeah, okay. Um, I guess at this point in time, then, I would it would have been, you know, most Friday evenings, it was off for whatever opening night. I don't even remember who I saw this with. Yeah. I was a little too young, so I don't think I saw this in theaters. I'd have been six or seven when this came out. Right. But I definitely remember my parents renting the probably VHS tape <laughs> shortly after release, watching it. And I don't think we ever owned it, but I always saw it. But like this was a perennial TV, on the TV of an evening film. Well, and the, I would always try and catch it. For the early age of DVD, before The Matrix, this was the reference film. You go right. in the store, they're showing The Fifth Element. I can see, I can see that. Um, I, I, when they first put it on Blu-ray, I think they kind of bungled the cut and have since fixed it. But yeah, this this was basically the reference disc mm. in all electronic storage for about three years. So I, as a child, I remember, like, I liked the early Egypt stuff. The spaceships look cool. Costumes are wacky. Kind of enjoyed the action and, like, the what I mostly remember is Mila Jovovich. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah, well, she is the titular uh, role of the film. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think she was uh, an awakening for a lot of people in my generation. <laughs> I, I do, yeah, I guess when this came out, this was billed as the blockbuster. It actually is technically a foreign, well, it is a foreign film. It's, yeah, the biggest French production up to this time. Right, but it's also an English language French production starring famous American actors and... That's true. Mostly, I think... Well, was it wouldn't have been filmed in France for the most part, right? I think it might have been. Montserrat? Yeah. I want to say Montserrat for some reason. I think oh, it was okay. filmed in Montserrat and maybe maybe in England, yeah. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure about Montserrat, but I, I don't remember why. <laughs> but, um, so the only other Luc Besson film I've seen is Leon. Mm-hmm. And that was actually only a month or two ago. I saw it in the theatre here. But he's been sci-fiing harder in the past few years. Yes, but I've not seen those yet. Really? Okay. Yeah, so no, I haven't seen, um, what's the insane one where Lucy? the woman... Lucy? I've, I've seen Lucy twice, weirdly enough. I think we should cover that at some point, because it oh, sounds yeah. really fucking it's worth, dumb. It's worth it, yes. <laughs> um, and I haven't seen Valerian's either. I started watching Valerian. I didn't... Not, I, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. I watched about 30 minutes of it, and then later I was uh, I was just like, I'm too tired to watch that film. Which yeah. just means I didn't like it. But uh, I want to watch it just be like a, I... Spoilers, I really fucking like The Fifth Element. Uh, but Valerian just happened to release when I was working 70-hour weeks to save to move to Japan. <laughs> so, like, if it was a Marvel film or a Transformers, I wasn't going to the theatre. Like, that was it. Yeah. So, mm, I lost my train of thought. Oh, well. <laughs> so, were you talking about why you gave up on Valerian? Whether or not this is a French film? Oh, oh no, yeah. No, I was going to say... Uh, a Serbian film. I never watched that, and I probably well, don't need not. to. <laughs> <laughs> Just change the country. It gets weird. Um, Valerian, I guess it, what I saw of it, it definitely 
follows up the candy-coated insanity of the fifth element accurately. Mm. Um, but it's like, it doesn't have the narrative thread. I mean, the fifth element barely has a narrative thread, but it kind of holds together. Well, also, Valerian's is, like, based on a comic book. and This basically is. It's based on the images from comic books, at least. <laughs> it's just based on a, a parody of America. Right? <laughs> I remember I was watching it, and I was like, oh, some McDonald's... Uh, yeah, that's a okay. serious then, product placement. <laughs> I then went out to the Coca-Cola vending machine, bought myself a Coca-Cola, and got on the Coca-Cola train <laughs> to go on a trip to Chicken yesterday. So I was like, I can't really talk. That is actually just what the world looks like. Yeah, yeah, I ride to work <laughs> on a Coca-Cola train sometimes. <laughs> There's um, So in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, video games have started seeing a bit more product placement. And often the argument that's used is like, yeah, but it makes the world actually seem more real. Um, but I think the reason that doesn't work in games and kind of doesn't work here is if only one thing is branded and nothing else is. <laughs> but it does. the McDonald's in this movie does not hold a candle to the Taco Bell and Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> also, they kind of almost take the piss out of McDonald's in this, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know if that is product placement or if that's just Lupus not taking the piss out of America. Yeah, you couldn't use golden arches unless no, no, not as prominently as they did. But it's a massive sign they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, then the woman in the uniform isn't like a stripper McDonald's outfit. And stuff. <laughs> well, the future, man. You just gotta wait for this. But yeah, so my history was always. I was just. Uh, I caught this, possibly not even always all the way through, on TV, sort of every couple of years since it came out. Right. Sorry, I just got a message. I think it's worth mentioning. Go on. My buddy's at the dentist with his kids. Yeah. And he said in the reading section for kids is a copy of Little Black Sambo. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, sorry. That, that, wow. I don't know. That almost doesn't even shock me anymore. I've been here long enough. In Japan, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just saw that and I'm like, whoa, that's pretty wild. Well, I also wasn't that familiar with Little Black Sambo until I did my Jinx episode of my Pokemon podcast. Yeah, they seem to like him in Japan. For you familiar reason. with Jinx? Uh, not so much. You're the... Oh, we got Jinx in the room. Okay. This one's Jinx. Oh, I see where you're coming from. Okay, <laughs> Jinx is a little questionable looking. They, um... So this is a pretty old toy, according to the... Oh, in fact, according to the plastic on the back, 97. Ah, oh, right. Um, they changed here. her to purple. Okay. And also stopped her appearing in any of the anime. <laughs> <laughs> that's Jinx, that's Pokemon. Jinx is now watching our podcast, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back to the fifth element, do you want to tell us the tale of that one? Yeah, let's do it. In 1914, aliens arrive at an Egyptian temple to collect stones containing the four elements, and also a sarcophagus containing the fifth element. They advise their, what's the word I'm looking for, contact on Earth, that they will return in 300 years to deliver 
the elements so that they can defeat the ultimate evil. Cut to 300 years later, when the great evil appears in space in the form of a big, big black ball of fire. It destroys an Earth ship, and the president is advised that the only way to stop it is by uniting these five elements. Unfortunately, the spaceship bringing it into human territory is destroyed! And so only one man can be trusted to unite the elements and save the Earth. Taxi driver Corbin Dallas. The fifth element is destroyed in the attack, but cloning process revives it. And it is a very sexy naked lady. But don't worry, everyone in this film is sexy, so it's all good. She is united with Corbin Dallas in a remarkable coincidental jump into a taxi. And they go on a bit of a romp through space to meet up with radio DJ Ruby Rod and the Diva, a singer who is transporting the stones inside her own stomach. There is a gunfight on a cruise ship. There's a bad guy who never stares any screen time with the hero. There's an explosion and they get back to Earth just in time to learn the meaning of love and defeat the ultimate evil. When this movie came out, movies were still kind of mysterious. I remember we saw posters for The Fifth Element. No, I had no idea what this movie was about till I saw it. Same with Armageddon while we're on, on the Willis subject, the subject of the Willis. I'm surprised by that one. Armageddon, I remember everyone knowing what that was all about. I, I think I'm talking like the first posters. Okay. Maybe after seeing The Fifth Element, it's like we came out and there's the poster for the next Right. Big Willis film, and what's that going to be? You know, like, I, I thought my first thought on that was, like, some biblical thing, because, well, Armageddon, right? Yeah, well, I remember the hubbub where that came out at the same time as Deep Impact. Oh, yeah, twin movies, those are always fun. Yeah. This movie has no twin. Fifth Element has no twin. This is a weird movie. Yeah, I know, that's why I love it. I know, I didn't, like, realize just how weird it is. It's got, like, it's got so much wackiness in it. Yeah, well, it's just... It's not comic relief, it's just wackiness. It's so French. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Offenbach music or something. But like it works, right? It's yeah. like... It works, but it shouldn't. It works because aliens should be a bit weird. Mm. Like it's, stuff can be weird and goofy and still kind of cool. Men in Black's about the same time as this, and they, they try and do goofy aliens in a very different way. Yeah, they lean too hard into it. Yeah, they, they put them in your face, I guess, whereas this movie is just like, there they are. Yeah. But, like, the very start, the aliens are shot as though they're cool, right? Right. There's silhouettes, and then there's lights, and then they slowly move into view, and they're mechanical parts, and everyone's scared of them. But also, they're these big hulking things, and they wobble, and they walk really weird, and they got the little heads. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I guess, like you say, unlike Men in Black, it doesn't treat its goofiness as goofy. It's allowed, it allows the goofy things to just be treated as part of this world and cool. The goofy thing, as you mentioned, was keeping stones in your stomach. Yeah, man. What was she thinking? <laughs> she, I guess she was expecting to sacrifice herself. That's a weird expectation. I don't know, they have teleporters in this world and we just didn't see one. <laughs> hey, uh, one note uh, for the diva. When she gives her performance, um, 
Of, of course, the, the actress as the diva and the voices are different, right? Like, right, 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 they, right. They combined it on set or something, apparently, and um, that was the first time Bruce Willis heard the performance. Huh. So his reactions are authentic. <laughs> I, that's one scene which really sticks with me. And, and think about his reaction, like, huh? like he's kind of entertained, kind of like, what the hell is happening? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, like a very authentic reaction, so I like that. And then, get, like, he gets more and more into it, and then by the end, he's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she starts going way faster, and it's like mixing in. This is not dubstep. This is before dubstep. Like, but I like, did read, um, <laughs> I, I read a quote from the singer, uh, whose name, sorry, is one that, honestly, I can't commit to memory easily. <laughs> but uh, um, she said, like, they had to record some of the parts one note at a time because mm. the human voice cannot go from that. Right, 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 right. Go yeah, to the next really so they had bizarre. to record them all separately and then paste them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it works because it's, it's like so close to real but they're not yeah I feel like that's the most memorable scene in this movie uh, maybe for you yeah okay uh, for me it was a couple of topless shots of a uh... <laughs> oh yeah those are cool too I'm just, like, I'm... again I was nine right like, yeah 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 <laughs> I was watching maybe I didn't see see those scenes about my parents telling me to close my eyes when I was like 13 or something and <laughs> I was like oh hello yeah yeah it is a... that was before I properly had like the internet so you know <laughs> it's like no one else is in the room. Yeah, it's a lot. Pause button. And <laughs> it's a lot for the ninety-seven multiplex, I guess. Cause uh, this, this, I guess this movie came out when I quit paying attention to ratings. Is a PG thirteen R? What rating again in the UK? Uh, it wasn't higher than a twelve. I don't think. Okay, I want to say it was PG thirteen in the states, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I don't think you can show titty in a PG thirteen anymore. Well, they they kind of only just kind of show titty, right? It's definitely there. Yeah, yeah, but it's like the first time. It's like she's lying down on the side and. You see it for like a brief second, then they cover of the bandages, right. and then she gets like, she takes her top off in the background and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it is definitely there. I think I guess Starship Troopers did, but Starship Troopers was a hard R, so yeah. Um, there's that. Well, in the UK, we did we. So it used to be you, which is anyone, PG parental guidance you gave your parents, and then 12, 12, 15, 18. and it wasn't until the first Spider-Man film, they brought in the twelve A. Which is where it's a 12, but you can go with your parents. Ah, uh, okay. Which is the equivalent, I guess, of the PG-13 in America. Uh, you can... Anyone, I think anyone can go to a PG-13. Like, you're just, like, technically... Huh. But then in America, like, any age rating you can go with an adult, right? Oh, with an adult. Uh, not NC-17. That okay. means you must be 17. R means you can't come in without an adult. PG-13 doesn't mean you need an adult. It just is, like, a suggestion. But yeah, in the UK, 15 and 18 are both hard... Ratings and twelve used to be as well. Okay, but um, although I only ever once went to a film I was too young for, and I was fourteen and I went and saw Troy. <laughs> we were although we, I did sneak a girlfriend into a couple of eighteen when she was seventeen and uh, I was eighteen. We tried to um, see Army of Darkness on opening night. Yeah, and I, I was like fourteen at the time, so we bought tickets for Homeward Bound. Yeah, and we got. Did you get away with it? Nope. <laughs> we did not yeah, get away with it. That was the sucky part. Yeah. Uh, no, it was. Yeah. Well, you said try, which is why I got the. Yeah. 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 And then I think we watched some of the homework down, and then we're what? Hey, fuck this! <laughs> and it took a while for me to see Army of Darkness. There was some. Uh, there, there were actually was supposed to be an adopt, but there were some miscues, and you know we didn't have cell phones. It was like 1993. There so. wasn't a hobo you could pay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was out in the suburbs, man. <laughs> uh, that theater, though, is probably a pretty wild experience now. Yeah, it's just in a weird multi-cultural, uh, you know, multi-ethnic part of town, so... I don't know, I wonder if they're still open. Don't know! But this is a multi-cultural, multi-ethnic movie. Um, let's start with the supporting cast. 
Because okay. there's a lot of supporting cast. I remember when this came out. So, one thing I remember thinking, the very the start of the film, the like prologue in, in Egypt. I what I always love this in films, books, anything. When you have a throwaway character, but you give them a character. Like I could imagine a whole film about these four or five characters in its opening scene. Because they're all given just a little bit, you know? There's the guy and he does he does sketches and he makes quips, and there's the professor and he shouts at his assistant, and there's the priest who doesn't want to have to do this, but he feels like he has to kill them. And it's it's small things, but they could so easily have just been generic extras who just say, My God, and shit like that. Well, I was uh, when we were kinda of talking at the same time, I was about to spit out Something about that on the alternate tact. Um, the assistant is Luke Perry, mm. um, who was on Beverly Hills Now 2 and 0. He was a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the show had just, I think, just had just recently ended. Well, he gets surprisingly high billing. I was about to say, credits. it was actually a big deal he was in this movie. He's only in it for like the first three or four minutes. <laughs> I, I do remember thinking, if this film was made today, that prologue would come before the title drop. Oh, is it after, is it? Yeah, they do They do opening titles, then the prologue, then jump to the future. You're right, you're right. They would, I, I'm surprised that even by 97 they were doing that. You don't put... Well, think of the font they put the uh, title in. You don't put that in a movie anymore. No. <laughs> that was pretty lame. Yeah. I, I guess they spent all their money on the effects. <laughs> the effects are pretty good. <laughs> the effects are pretty good. Um, so anyway, Luke Perry, uh, who recently passed away. Oh, bummer. Oh, that's sad. Cause he's yeah, not he wasn't old. that old, yeah. Although, I keep thinking to myself, this is a recent film. It's 22 years old. Yeah, he died in his 50s, but still. That's, that's, also, still, that's young, right? He was, not... It is young. He was older and he looked in the fifth... Ele- I mean... He was, yeah, he was older than he looked in the fifth element. He was already like 35 or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah don't don't, don't do the math on that, please. But, uh, yeah, he was. Well, did he do the math? No, I think he I think he had some actual horrible thing happen. Oh, please cut that then. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want. Oh, uh, Ruby Rod. Yes. Chris Tucker. So this is the kind of role I can imagine people hating. But I love Chris Tucker in this film. What, what does he have? He has this Friday, he, the first one only, Rush Hour. Is that it for Chris Tucker? I, I think he does do like stand up and stuff. Okay. You I think see he's my not note? entirely a film guy. You look at my note. Which note? Read note number three. In 1990. 19- oh, you have told me the story, but please go on. In 1998, I worked shortly after this movie. I worked at the Warner Brothers studio store in Lenox Square, a mall in Atlanta, and Chris Tucker came in, and he was going to buy all the stuff, and I'm cashing him out, and I had to turn down his credit card. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was not accepted. <laughs> you are directly responsible for him going and demanding more money for the Rush Hour sequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Demanding he get paid as much as Jackie Chan. Because I, I just see this movie have a bad. I want to, I, want, I don't want your credit card to be de- declined, but it was. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very weird situation. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. To his credit, he was not a. He was. He was cool about it. Did he have other payment? Did he just have to not buy his stuff? I don't remember. <laughs> I do remember he was cool about it. Like he was nice. So I didn't get a bad impression of him. So okay. it wasn't like he started screaming at me. He he was cool. But I did, I did have to turn down his credit card. Um, the name is something different in the in the book. Like, they changed his name very late. I didn't know this was a book. They mean the novelization. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, it wasn't. A, uh, Alan Dean Foster wrote the novelization. I was going to say, it'd be weird as shit if this was a book. <laughs> I think <laughs> Alan Dean Foster wrote the novelization, but okay. it was a novelization of the movie. Yeah, because it, feel, it feels like it was mostly... The plot is just led by the visuals, right? <laughs> yeah, really. It's like stream of consciousness. Um, but... Um, 
they, uh, his name was always Rod, but they, they, he had a different first name. They changed it to um, Ruby Rod, the idea that the first name is feminine. Right. right. And the second name is Rod. It's <laughs> phallic. <laughs> well, he's, he's like... So, again, the reason this film is so unique is because it's made with that, like, that fashion eye, that French eye. Mostly when they try and do a sexy character in films, like a male character. Yeah. It's what straight men think is sexy, which is not that sexy, right? <laughs> this guy's like, I'm a gruff guy and I've got big muscles and that's what the women love. But this guy is like, he's like skinny and wiry, but he's sexy, no? <laughs> he's like... But I put Ruby as like Prince on bath salts and crocodile. <laughs> yeah. Right, um, but Prince is what's actually sexy. That they did try to cast both Prince and Michael Jackson before. I'm glad going. we got Chris Tucker. Though. I'm glad we got Chris Tucker. So At the same this. time, Prince would have been pretty cool. Yeah, but he wouldn't have had. He wouldn't have, he would have had comedic. that manic energy when him true. and Bruce Willis together, are just like the straightest straight man you've ever met, and then this guy. <laughs> but Prince would have had more of the raw androgynous sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they should have gotten, you know what they should have done? They should have had Prince score this like Batman. Because, <laughs> <laughs> okay, the soundtrack is Eric Serra, something like that. The soundtrack, I'm a little on the fence on this one. I don't yeah, it, it like. It does that like 90s wacky comedy dude. It does that. Like Super Mario Brothers movie and then And then sometimes. in like tense moments, it goes into like new age. Yeah. And I'm like, that's weird. But um, the theme it has for the Fifth Element mystical stuff. That's cool. It's good. Yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm, it's not like an awful soundtrack. It's just... It's not an awful not soundtrack at all. Memory. It's just some as like, why is this genre here? Yeah. And, and the same guy wrote it all, but um, it's just... It's it's a, it's kind of an ADD soundtrack, I guess. Yeah. Well, it suits the film, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the film is too. So, so it doesn't take away from the film. Just Especially, I found those little new age segments. I'm like, huh? Uh, there's one... I think they're getting on the... Uh, going to Fossum Paradise or something. I put... Oh, yes, yes, they're getting on the ship, and I said, glad to see we're all radiation-proof and dub-stoned in the future. Because suddenly it's got this, like, and they're passing, like, these engines just, like, venting crap, and I'm like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> um, other so good, sorry, just to stick on um, the sexy, sexy Ruby Rod for a moment. <laughs> um, the, the thing I was bringing up earlier about, like, the different ideas of what's sexy, uh, in comic books... Do you know the characters who were specifically drawn to be attractive? Jessica Rabbit? No, male characters. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Quicksilver. Nightwing. Quicksilver. Was Quicksilver? Was that right? Yeah, it's the okay. slimmer guys. It's the athletic guys. Yeah, yeah. Not the male fantasy buff guys. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, there are, there are people who are into that, and that's why you've got Bruce Willis getting some shutter scenes as well. Well, you got the hawk with bunny slippers once. X-Factor crossover, he's, he's fighting for a small republic, like huh. rebels, and he shows up to battle, and it's a hawk with bunny slippers, and he gets pissed off because they shoot with missiles, and the bunny slippers get destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> this is when he had the hawk's body and Bruce Banner. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I've done that now and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ruby Rod, we're going to talk more about Ruby Rod, so let's, let's get a few more actors. Uh, Gary Oldman, yay! Yes. So, like I said, the only, I'd recently seen Leon for the first time. And this is a this is actually a pretty similar Gary Oldman villain performance. He hates this movie. Really? He did it because um, sorry, director's name. Luke Besson. Yes, thank you. Um, I was afraid I wouldn't say it right. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. You put a French accent. On anyway, it. <laughs> Luke Besson had just funded a movie I that Gary like this. Oldman. Yeah, Besson. <laughs> Luke Besson. Sorry, I was trying to ruby it. <laughs> anyway, um, he had just. Luke Besson, my man. <laughs> 
<laughs> he had just funded. Got that too. <laughs> he had just. I'm not kind of. He had just funded Gary Oldman's like director. Like he directed ah, the film, okay. so he did it as a service. Right. And he was interviewed. I think it's 2014. I was like, "What do you think of that? I hate that movie." Uh, he he he, t- he did as you know. He was doing a favor, but he's really good here. I I, I already said that Ruby is like Prince on Bath Sots and Crocodile. I wrote that um, uh, Goldman here, is, Oldman, Goldman, Oldman is um, he he's just like Tony Stark on Bath Sots. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> The accent he does is so weird. Um, yeah, he, he, he also, he only does it for like half his lines. I know, that's what's so great. There was it's like two, a salesman voice, I guess. There were two things he was referencing here. Um, I forget what the other, one of them was Bugs Bunny. He's trying to do half Bugs Bunny and half something else. And, oh, that metaphor is lost. Anyway. Um, what's the big chicken in Looney Tunes called? Falkhorn Leghorn. Yeah, he's a little bit Falkhorn Leghorn in no, places. No, 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 I'm, I'm saying this is Gary Oldman's own words that at right. least that one thing he was thinking about was Bugs Bunny huh, when he's okay. doing that. When he's doing um, Zorg. That's the name of the Bruce, uh, Bruce uh, Buzz Lightyear's nemesis too, is it? No, that's Zerg. Zerg, this is Zorg, okay. It's like Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. This is his full name. But, you know, the song, one of the things he's doing was, I mean, with the McDonald's, he's slamming capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why the main villain in this film, you know, he's got all the products he's excited about in his office. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just all, like, rampant capitalism. Well, he is, like, literally ushering in the end of the world because he thinks he can profit from it. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're talking to Mr. Shadow and he makes your head bleed, you might want to consider that Mr. Shadow has some issues. Well, you know, when Australia's on fire, you might want to think that the guy who's telling you you should keep investing in oil might have some issues. <laughs> you know, part of the thing is there is uh, water rights. Yeah, Australia sold yeah, all their yeah. water. I, I heard um, last year that it was some, some insane amount of water. Mm. Like, you know, like, serve New York for a day amounts of water. And you're like, who owns this water? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, just dump it in the ocean. They ended up dumping like this insane amount of water in the ocean of a country that's burning. It's insane that water can be bought and sold, quite frankly. I know, really. <laughs> they sold it to, um, you know, foreign interest, right? Yeah. Uh, Nestle, there's some Chinese interest in there, and they don't own their own water anymore. So what does the prime minister do? He takes a vacation to Hawaii. <laughs> I'll talk about Nestle a bit more in a second, because fuck Nestle. But, um... One of the Bond films, I think it's the one people don't like, Quantum of Solace. Oh, oh water, right? It seemed yeah, weird the at the was time. That it's not oil, it's water. It seemed weird at the yeah, time, and now smart, it's like, oh, right? yeah. I, yeah. There will be water wars within my lifetime. Yeah. Right? But, I, I like that movie. I did yeah, as well. Um, but yeah, Nestle killed like loads of babies in Africa because they advertised that it was healthier to use their powdered milk than breast milk. Which involved milking, uh, mixing the powder with, like, cholera-ridden water. And, and that's just chump change when you get to, like, Monsanto. Yeah. Know. <laughs> you know, throwing in cancerous seeds throughout the entire country. <laughs> but, so, you know, we've talked before about, oh, is, this, is it a bit heavy-handed? Is it a bit heavy-handed? No, fuck capitalism. You should be as heavy-handed as possible. <laughs> but like, this movie's not heavy-handed. It makes a very nice point without being heavy-handed at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Ruby Rod is like, he's like the YouTube star, like, ten years before that was a thing. Yeah, well, that's the one part of this film maybe that hasn't aged well. It's that he's a radio teacher. 
But if and you he's just like the biggest star in the galaxy, and he's just like a radio presenter. If you just turn that into YouTube, it's yeah. completely well, if, prophetic. If they made this film today, he'd have like a little flying, like camera robot, like a drone following around. That it would just be he's a live streamer, and that's his shtick. I mean, it's basically what they're doing here. They just didn't yeah. have the vocabulary yet. Yeah. Okay, old man Tucker. I don't want to get to the big guns just yet. Are there Who's any the priest guy? I don't know. I wanted him to be George Carlin, but he just wasn't. He's how cool would that be if he was George Carlin? Just a little more swarm and capitalism. George Carlin certainly has some things to say about that. That would have been cool. Um, I did note. I, I was watching this again. I, I thought about this on opening night watching this. Right? Is this the first time I've seen a black president on film? And uh, I actually went and looked, and it turns out there is a somewhat obscure film called Born in Flames that features a black president, but otherwise this is the first feature film with a black president. Huh. And and they don't, I mean, they play it well, right? He's cool, right? Yeah, it doesn't come off. It, he's not an idiot. He's not like the classic incompetent president. No, he's and doing his job. they don't mention that he's black. They don't, they don't mention he's black. They don't mention he's a hero. They don't mention he's screwing up. He's just, he's the president, right? Well, and he also... The most unbelievable thing is he very quickly believes the guy giving him the fantasy religious version of events. <laughs> like, I, they try the missiles, and he's like, oh, it actually did make it grow. Ronald Reagan was Okay, let's try, let's try your stone system. Yeah. And Ron- I'm like, I like that, because... Um, so, take this one off the loop in the podcast, bingo. <laughs> um, the first Transformers film, there's a bit where, like, you know, there's... Sam, and there's the Michaela, the love interest, and there's a bit where he's like, no, you don't understand, there's a robot. And I'm like, here we go, she doesn't believe him, and then next, you know, an hour later, she does. Now the robot just shows up behind him. I'm like, okay, we solved that, now they can move on with the plot. <laughs> it's not an interesting story, where it's like, oh, no one believes he, but the audience already knows I'm correct. So just do it. Yeah, just, just, let's get that out of the way and get to the trippy stuff. Like, um, the first Thor does it as well, a bit. But that actually does drag out a bit too long. But like, if the audience already knows that you're tr- what you're saying is true, it's not that interesting for everyone else to constantly need convincing, right? Right, exactly. But yeah, this movie just says, let's get past that plot point and move to the real trippy stuff. I mean, this movie gets, basically, this movie gets to a climax immediately, you know? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I did have trouble spelling Flostom Paradise. It's so weird. They, they have. I have trouble even saying Flostom Paradise. They, they eventually put it on a sign. It is F H L O S T O N Paradise. Yep. Even after, like, I saw it on screen, I typed it. And even then, I was like, did I just type this right? I'm not quite sure. So, Vito Cornelius <laughs> is the character name. Okay. This is the priest, by the way. Ian Holm. I should have known that. Oh, he's a real actor. Guy, yeah. Okay. Not that I'm not. He's in some real. What's he in? He's in some real I, stuff. I clicked on him for that exact reason. Just yeah, I, I know. Like, he's in good stuff. Fucking hell, he was Bilbo. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but and I see. I see his face, and I just think Fifth Element. This so. doesn't mean I still would say I, I want George Carlin in that role. How fun would that be? I, just, I don't know. In my world, that's cool. Oh, he's actually an alien. Holy hell! Okay. <laughs> We're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he's, in, he's in some Star Wars? I don't know, is he? I bet he's in some... I feel like he's in some Star Wars. I'm not sure he is. He hasn't come up yet, and I'm in the 80s. Okay. So a recent one. Get to this early 80s. And he's, he's in a lot... Right, there's loads of films which I want to list, but it's stuff where there's like 10 versions. Uh, so it's okay. like... 
various Shakespeare's, Robin Hood. Um, anyway, does Shakespeare existence? He's in again. Um, but yeah, I, very I, very legit actor and very. He's story. good in the role. I just I was thinking Bill and Ted. I was like, this guy feels like George Carlin there, and I love George Carlin, and I wanted to see the day after tomorrow. tomorrow. Ooh, <laughs> I know what day that is. <laughs> We got through all the supporting actors. It's time for some of the main actors. Who do you want to hit up first? Uh, let's start with Bruce, because I feel like I've got more to say about Mila. Okay. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. I had a real good thing to say about Bruce. Oh, I already went you through You already my... kind of went through, like, in the 90s, Bruce Willis was, like, the guy. Cavalcade of Bruce. Yeah, I mean, he was, like, in Friends around this time. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess that was a little bit later, because he was playing the dad of one of Ross's girlfriends. Well, his dad in Armageddon. He's Bruce Affleck's dad. This is the last time... Oh, yeah, no, he's the love interest. He's love interest dad. This is the last time that he's just straight up, like, that age, isn't he? One yeah, year later, yeah. he's the dad. Mm-hmm. I put a few notes, though. Note one about Bruce. Bruce Creepy. Lilo can me too. Yeah, bet. <laughs> but he, he... So he, what he does is a bit creepy, <laughs> but he very immediately knows that he did something wrong. He knows he did it creepy, but it's yeah. still like, it's still creepy. Yeah, but how many films do they do that and play it off like it's cool? I, I pat- <coughs> oh, and solo. <laughs> <laughs> One more line. This is not a better love story than Twilight. It's 47 Shades of Creepy. Well, yeah, because he's like a grown-ass man and she was born during this film. <laughs> <laughs> Reborn. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I don't get the she's like, she has, like, she's memories, like, right? She's, like, thousands of years old. I think she, Oh, yeah, she does talk the... She does... It's only English she learns and Earth history. Yeah. She still had knowledge. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Also, um, that was a yeah, real... You're like the guys who play Fire Emblem, like, no, you don't understand it. I'm not banging the 12-year-old. She's actually a 9,000-year-old dragon, so it's fine. She just <laughs> looks 12. <laughs> so she just looks 18. <laughs> um, like... The the ancient language, the per was it the, the divine language. Divine language, thank you. They wrote four a four hundred word uh, vocabulary for that. Oh, cool. Which Jovovich learned because she already knew four languages so yeah. like fluently. So you know, four hundred words of this ridiculous language wasn't too much. Of a oh, stretch. I'm I'm going to be gushing about Jovovich later. So okay, we'll say that. let's finish on the Willis. Let's finish on the Willis. That sounds dirty. But Bruce Willis, like. So you, you you talked about his run like up to about I guess Armageddon was right ended right, but even before what you'd listed like, yeah, it was a big TV guy. I mean like and then mm-hmm. Die, Die Hard, Hard, Die Hard Two, Die Hard Vengeance. No, well, I mean Die yeah. Hard Two is in the middle there. It's in the middle. I just, I just want to say with a Vengeance. Then yeah, Die Hard with a Vengeance. What did he do between Twelve Monkeys? So no, that's but, him getting weird. Oh, between what? Like over the course of the first three. Hudson Die Hawk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did that's an arc. <laughs> There's probably a few others in there, um, which are not... Not quite as well-remembered as those ones, yeah. Is he in The Last Boy Scout? That came I feel out like so he did do speaking. another... I feel like he must have done at least one more fairly straight action as one of the diehards. Yeah, I think... But um, 
I, come on, I just gave you a stretch. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I listed like more movies than I really needed. Yeah, to. no, no. It's, like, he is, I guess, the biggest actor in the world when this film came out. Yeah, and uh, Twelve Monkeys the year before was kind of a weird one. It wasn't quite as blockbustery, right? It's Terry Gilliam, right? Mm. He's great in it. It's, it's definitely Bruce and Brad Pitt getting weird for the first time. But like, so I guess between that and this, does that? It's like Bruce Willis choosing to do these like more interesting films. If he did it, rubber banded back right after. Or is or is Hollywood just weird in the mid nineties? <laughs> like, <laughs> could you imagine? Like, the biggest star in the world is just like, yeah, okay. My big budget main release this year is this weird film with this British director. Then this weird film with this French director. And then a Michael Bay blockbuster. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, one of my favorite Bruce Willis movies is actually way past his uh, prime, which is Surrogates. Oh, that's a good one. I love that. I, I like that when they show his robot form, it's pretty similar to his Fifth Element look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like we need to cover that one eventually. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Because I've never looked this up, but my assumption is that the ending got changed quite late on. That sounds likely. Right, also, right at the very end, when they've all stopped using their surrogates, right? And he hasn't seen his wife in the flesh in years. Goes into her room, sees an empty bottle of pills. She has previously been refusing. It's like, oh, his wife's killed herself because she can't live. And no, that hasn't happened. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like that's not the ending they originally shot here. We'll get to that <laughs> later, of course. Um, uh, although that one... Just to get you slightly excited, it is directed by Terminator 3 director um, Jonathan Mostow. Huh. So that's kind of fun. But I uh, can't hear that name in any voice other than Schwarzeneggers. Because on my DVD <laughs> copy of Terminator 3, every time you put the DVD in, you can see a little introduction from Arnie, like, Hi, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, to welcome you to this DVD edition of Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Can you-, you can watch it with commentary from director Jonathan Mostow and actors. And me! <laughs> so, oh, I remember that! that yeah. In me is what I remember. Yeah. But every time you put the disc in, you have to watch Arnie's little welcome to this DVD. <laughs> of course you do. I have that I, disc. We'll I feel like if there was a skip option, I wouldn't have ever clicked it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there was a skip option, you just never clicked it. <laughs> but, uh, back to this one. Man, I didn't have a thought to follow that with. Uh, <laughs> So how is Bruce in this? He's fine. He's I feel like a little he's... creepy, but he's fine. Oh, here's the... Oh, he's just a normal taxi driver. Oh, wait, he used to be like a special forces hard they ass. They do tell you that before, quite early on. They tell you early, but, but they, they tomfool you a little bit, don't they? It's kind of... If I have a complaint about this film, it's that she just happened to land in the taxi of the guy who was about to be given the mission to help her. It's just synchronicity, man. It's, all these things it's no, cosmic. It's it's that's how the fifth element there's works. There's nothing else like that in this film. Though. There's nothing else like the fifth element. Mm, true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just it feels out of place in a film which is otherwise. It's a MacGuffin. Yeah. If if it, that's not the stones. Right, but they, could they not have just done it like um, he's given the mission to help her? He's going to ha- turn her in, and then he changes his mind and saves it. Okay. Why does she have to just jump out and land in his cab? Okay. so bizarre. I'm pitching the movie to you. Okay, so she's running, and Bruce Willis sees her and decides to help her and brings her in the cab. She jumps off a roof and just flies into the cab. No, no, no. I mean, Bruce Willis is the guy who's meant to catch her, mm. does catch her, and then decides to help her. 
No, I, I, it's uh, the jump through the cab is a cool moment, <laughs> but it's the fact that he then is also the guy given the mission. Yeah, <laughs> if he he can be an everyman who saves the day, or he can be the guy who's given the mission. He can't be both. <laughs> but it's so audacious. It's like, it's that like they, they tried both. And it's like, fuck it, both. <laughs> it's so audacious they did it. It is pretty audacious. Everything about this movie is audacious. So <laughs> I think it's, honestly, that doesn't bug me. I'm like, yeah, she falls it, into the cab. I'm exaggerating. It, it bothers me in the exact moment it happens and I don't care for the rest of the film. <laughs> um, at the start. It's mil- Oh, sorry. He does, about- he does do some like Bruce willis quipping. But for the most part, he's kind of the straight man in this film. He's like an observer. Because he's literally. surrounded by everything way wackier than him, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, like, Die Hard, like, the fun of it is that he's in a pretty generic action film, but he's a pretty fun guy. Mm. Whereas in this, he's in a fucking batshit insane film. So, like, a bit of the Bruce Willis charm doesn't seem that... He's unusual. just kind of there. But he's there very well. I love... The first couple of scenes of him and Ruby. <laughs> yeah, the premise is he does a radio contest where someone wins this holiday, so they rig it so that he can go there incognito. But he's like, they're coming in, being flamboyant, trying to get an interview. Oh, give me a word. And he's like, hi. hi. <laughs> it's so good. With, with the echo. That, yeah, that worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> like the next day, like, oh, how do you feel? Thrilled. <laughs> yeah, that was great. So <laughs> anyway, I think it's Miller time. Oh, man. She's amazing. Yeah. So, um, I didn't even know until just now I looked her up on Wikipedia. Did she was a singer before she went into films? Um, you know what? I think I probably heard that in, like, promos for this film and I've forgotten this. I feel, like, I feel like we should pause, listen to one of our songs, just so we've got some. Okay. Let's do it. We paused. We listened. Um, I had a shock. It wasn't that the music was... I mean, it was music, right? It was just like a 94 pop rock sort of album. It was that I actually was familiar with the album in 1994, forgot about it, then got to know her as an actress, and then Luke pops up the photo here. Oh my God, I actually know that album! Yes, so, so you've just combined these two, in your mind, separate people. Yeah. Realize they're the same person. Well, I'd, probably, I'd read the review in a magazine, probably heard it in a store, and, oh, okay, whatever. Mm. And just the connection's weird, you know? Like, I didn't yeah, make yeah. that connection. Um, but yeah, so she is incredible. Like, Ukrainian-born, like you mentioned, four languages before she learned the divine language. <laughs> um, um, bizarre penchant for marrying her directors. Because <laughs> she married Luc Besson after this film. Hmm. Um, she then married, and I believe is still married to, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, who did the Resi films. And I've never seen those. I've seen the first one. She's also naked in that. <laughs> Which might have been why I watched it. But... He is now going on to direct, with her starring, the Monster Hunter movie. Hmm. And I, well, you can see behind you my shelf of Monster Hunter shit. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was looking in the Pokemon direction <laughs> before. Um, yeah, I've, my first podcast, which people actually listened to, was a Monster Hunter podcast. Ah. <laughs> uh, which has been on hiatus since I moved to Japan, basically. But, yeah, I'm very... Most people seem to be pretty down on this film, because they're doing a weird... American soldiers from our world accidentally gets transported to the Monster Hunter world angle with it. But just because I love Mila Jovovich, I think I'm going to love that film. <laughs> okay. Dinosaurs, I don't care. Give me some dinosaurs if they fight a tank, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, The Fifth Element was extremely polarizing when it came out. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this was one of those movies there were no, like, okay reviews. It was like, we love it or we hate it. 
You're right, but this is polarizing because um, it's so out there and ambitious and weird. Whereas the problem with the Monster Hunter film is that it's so generic. Yeah, <laughs> but there's nothing generic in here. No, except for the Captain Wacky music. Yeah, but but yeah. whatever. Um, oh, and I, some of the spaceships look a bit Star Destroyer. But. I did feel like um, there there's a scene where um, Bruce Willis is in his Corbin. We'll call him Corbin Dallas. Yeah. is in his apartment and has the people coming. He's putting the military people in deep freeze and yeah. the priest in a self ceiling bed and it made me think of the Marx Brothers uh, stateroom scene have you ever seen that I think I have seen it's that it's the night of the yeah. opera where people yeah. just keep coming and it turns out like there's like 27 people in like a you know 5 by 5 stateroom on the cruise ship so I wonder if they were referencing that maybe not direct well it's, it's a slapstick comedy for, moment for like and one minute that's why you, yeah well, but I mean that moment is, and all slapstick comedy is referencing the Marx Brothers, right? I mean, even, even modern films, you know, Star, like you said, Star Wars or Marvel movies, they're now like, they make fun of their... You can't do a satire because they make fun of themselves. Right. But they never go slapstick. No. They rarely go slapstick. No, but that's the thing. I don't think... I never felt like this film is making fun of itself. It's just having fun. Yeah. Like, it never feels like you're meant to go, oh, this is stupid. You're just along for the ride and enjoying yourself. But that, to go back to Mila, I think, um, remind me again, what's the actress in Metropolis? Uh, Van Harbo is the writer. Uh, no, it's too much. It's just Bridget, Metropolis there? Maria, that's what we call her around here. Yeah, um, I remember <laughs> with her, my thing wasn't like, whoa, she's fit. It was just, I was captivated by her. It's her eyes. And, the, yeah. and now in Jovovich's case here, I think it's movement. Yeah, it's, mo- it's... But her performance is so... Like, at first vulnerable and then later so strong. And back and forth between those two positions. Yeah. That you, you just fall in love with the character. Yeah. Like, the second time she brings out the titty, it's not like, it's not like hot. I mean, for nine, I'm sure it is. But, right. I mean, it's, there's nothing, like, sexy about it. I mean, she's just, she's just doing something, you know? Yeah, but, yeah, that's the thing, like... Obviously, when I was, you know, 10 or whatever, and I was watching this film, it was just, oh, I get to see an attractive lady in the nude. But I don't think that's why Leela was, had such an effect on so many people. It's not just they saw a lady not wearing much. It's just that the performance is so... Well, they keep calling her, like, perfect, right? Mm. And she is just this perfect distillation of a human being. Like, she just goes through so many emotions, and she experiences them so strongly... And it's, like you say, physical. It's in movement. And maybe the fact that um, English is not her first language and that she does, for a lot of the film, barely talk. It's just, you can't take your eyes off her. <laughs> so, yeah, um, incredible casting and incredible performance. Now, now, the one catch, this perfect, amazing thing, only gets one scene to really show her stuff. Yeah, I kind of... But so does Bruce Willis, really. Yeah. Like, it's not really an action film. There's, like, a car chase when they first meet. She gets one punch up. He gets one shoot out. And that's it for them having action scenes, really. The explosion in the um, lobby of the hotel, apparently, when they filmed this, was the largest explosion done for a film, though, just to wow. throw up the action stakes a little bit when they... It's a rocket launcher or something. Yeah. yeah they have a... Yeah, major... but, yeah I mean... Um, <laughs> the current, I think, largest explosion on film with actors in it 
is that one from Transformers 2 where they blow up half of Jordan. Like, That's later. Yeah, but at, I mean, like... At the time. My concept of explosions on camera has been ruined by my love of Michael Bay films. Like, <laughs> yeah, dear so God. Well, again, the fifth element, you don't go home thinking of that scene anyway. You think of no. other scenes. You think of the opera singer, you think of, like, the opening scenes of, like, Lulu escaping and just being this weirdo. You think of the end when, like, they're putting... I really remember the scene with the stones where they're trying to activate the elements. You just think of Chris Tucker, Chris Tuckering through the film. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I almost forgot about that. I haven't watched it for a little while. I did write a, a fun line somewhere in here. Oh, I'm looking at the black hole. That's why it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's behind me. Here we go. Corbin, it moved. Blowing on that stone is pretty fantastic. <laughs> no one calls their dick a stone so it doesn't work people call their balls stones sometimes but it's blowing on your balls what you're into I wrote the stone part so <laughs> somebody's into it that's rule what 30 something 30 there's, what, what, there's one about yeah Nazis one of them is yeah, anything is someone's thing yeah yeah <laughs> any more middle love you want to throw this podcast's way no, just if you're listening, give me a call. I guess we're talking visuals. Yeah. Effects-wise, this is mostly models, right? They built some very large city model cities at one twenty-fourth scale for this. Because I was going to say this is too early for any of that. Most of that to have been CG. I'm sure there's some CG. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's some, but like the spaceships and stuff. It's not so noticeable good. here, though. That's what, yeah. So it must have been in the time where they mostly use models. Some of the aliens made me think of Galaxy Quest, but that's fine. And that's like yeah, in, a, in a fun way. Like I, you mean like the the mercenaries, whatever they were. I put a note uh, somewhere. I was like, "Man, this movie rips off so many things in reverse chronological order." <laughs> we we don't cite this as one of the uh, landmarks, but it kind of is. I mean, this is the first like, candy coated, completely ape shit sort of effects on screen. I feel like probably, but yeah, like I guess those fast moving the prosthetic aliens. There's been. Every alien since, basically, is then. Yeah. I, I can't think of one before. Yeah. Because there's movies that totally go weird, but not at this pace. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie just keeps boom, boom, boom. It doesn't really Well, and also, this much. movie just moves at that pace. Yeah. Which is how all movies move now, right? <laughs> now you're like, wow, this is so groundbreaking when you see a film that takes its time to do something. Yeah, like the thing here that struck me weird watching it this time, having probably not watched it for about ten years, which is the wackiness. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't move that fast and go wacky because you're spending too much money to be wacky, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why this one is so unique. <laughs> yeah, the effects all look good. Um, like the like we've seen, obviously in Blade Runner, like cities full of flying cars, but not just cities full of car cars in the daylight enjoying it. 
Well, that was one of Hassan's notes. He was like, I want as many effects in this movie to be in bright light. Right. Because we never see that. That yeah. was actually his stipulation for this film. Yeah, That's what he told in the effects house. Right? Yeah, everything happens in broad daylight. Hmm. Which, even now, films are like, let's make things happen in darkness. I assume That's, that. We just finish Rise of Skywalker, everything is, like, murky in the end, because I don't know why. Well, I assume it's a combination of they think it's dramatic, and it lets you hide some of your effects. <laughs> <laughs> if you do them right, you don't have to hide them. Yeah, and these look mostly pretty damn good. Yeah, there's a lot of influence from uh, the comic um, artist Mobius. You mentioned a costume designer. Can you throw that name out again? Jean-Paul Gaultier. He's a comic book guy? No, he's a legit fashion guy. Okay. He's so, like one of the biggest fashion guys. Sorry, That's why the, I was shocked when I saw him at the Yeah, start. Th there's another comic. I'm sorry I don't have it. There's another. Oh, I saw that on the Wikipedia just now. Yeah, there's a comic guy who tried to sue this film. And yeah, but he actually worked for it first. And uh, he sued for much less than the other guy, though, I noticed. Like he made That's a tiny lawsuit and then another guy made a large one. And maybe you'll give some names. Uh, Mobius, I don't believe, did sue. But um, there's so many... Things that, it's like the Beatles. Like the Beatles didn't do anything original. They just took lots of interesting ideas and combined them. And I feel like the Fifth Element kind of does that. Like there's nothing here that's like absolutely original, but they've taken all these little ideas from here, from here, from here, combined them and made them into something really interesting. So, Alejandro Jodorowsky and Jean Giraud sued Besson after the film was released, claiming the Fifth Element had plagiarized their comic The Inkle. Who who sued for more money? They sued together because they were a oh. pair. Maybe it's Jordowski that sued less because he's one of my favorite directors. Do you know who he is? Hit me with it. Oh, God. Um, he is a Mexican director. He did um, The Holy Mountain. Um, he developed Dune in the 70s. Mm. Oh, you have told me about this. I, yeah, told yeah, you, yeah. I think you on the podcast, and he didn't finish it, and they the guys he hired made Alien. Um but yeah, he's 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 a name. Uh, maybe he's the one that sued less because I like him better. <laughs> but yeah, uh, El Tropo. It's about a cowboy that rides around with a six-year-old naked child on the back of his mule. That's a weird one. Uh, yeah, the taxi was definitely inspired by a comic because they've got a picture of it. Yeah, yeah, they got side by side. I mean, like I said, like if you look at this one, this one element, yeah, um, it's like, oh yeah, they ripped it off. But you have to realize that this movie is taking so many things from so many places and combining it. So once you've done that, you've synthesized into something new. I think. Mm. So I, I, I mean, how can it's hard to say? Even if you read the comic, it's hard to say like the fifth element really ripped off anything. Gaultier designed every one of the 900 costumes and checked each costume every morning. His designs, described as intellectually transgressive, were said to challenge sexuality and gender norms. What does intellectually transgressive mean? Fuck knows. Fashion. <laughs> Nothing means anything. But I, did, I do remember watching it and being like, there's scenes towards the end where Bruce Willis is dressed like he's going to the gay bar to go clubbing. But... He's still just acting like super masculine Bruce Willis, right? It works well, like we talked about with the goofiness. They just, they don't mention it. Mm. It's just there and they just roll with it. People dress in the way they dress. The first time I went to San Francisco, I went, I was visiting my friend um, that I had worked with the previous year. I met her and her mother at the airport. Her mother is gay. Mm. First place we went was Costa, I we went to a bookstore and then they had to use the restroom and we ended up like in a gay bar. 
<laughs> and I ordered a drink because uh, it was like 10 minutes, right? Right. And I didn't want to just sit there. And no one hit on me, and I was disappointed. <laughs> that is every straight man's experience of going to the gay bar. I know. We walk around with this idea that we're the hottest thing on earth. And we're <laughs> the gay bar and realize we're not. <laughs> they made a good martini, though, so I'm going to give them that. <laughs> I bet they did. Um, yeah, the, this movie's a little ahead of its time on that, too. I mean, in the you could still make, like, pretty... Um, pretty non P I don't want to say PC just you can make tasteless gay jokes in the 90s that would not fly today right this movie doesn't really make those jokes but it definitely pushes the image of um, gender bending in a, in a fun way I think if any one actor or character had not played along the whole thing would have fallen apart because no one makes any of those jokes no one acts like it's at all unusual that people are dressing and acting this way. Is why it works. If there'd been one actor who was like a bit too self-conscious in their costume or tried to make a joke of it, it wouldn't have worked. It's like when you watch um, like some kind of comedy skit where they're all in like, they're wearing a ridiculous costume. And there's the one guy where, I, I'm, I'm talking about something like Saturday Night Live or like kids TV where they bring in actors from outside and they get them to do comedy. They're not comedy guys. Mm. And it, the whole joke is just, oh, look, it's this guy who's normally serious and he's in a dumb costume. I always hate that shit, right? <laughs> Whereas here, it works because no one is doing that. No one is too good for this. And so it, it just, you feel it. You yeah. just let yourself step into that world. I guess that's in some of our past things. With, um, again, it didn't actually bother me when we talked about Dark Fate. I just noticed it as a trend of like really pushing in your face. Um, this movie has everything on display and pushes none of it in your face, which is fantastic. I like it when you just show it, it happens, and you don't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. I mean, Ruby Rod is ridiculous, but it's fine. He's Ruby Rod in this movie. That's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> and he could have done... I mean, he could have turned around and behaved that same way to a male flight attendant. And he <laughs> wouldn't have batted an eyelid. No, right? <laughs> five. I mean, the one thing that bothers... It doesn't bother me. Ruby Rod's voice is annoying as shit, but it's supposed to be, so it's fine. Yeah, I remember... I feel like once upon a time, maybe I was annoyed. But I, I just enjoyed every second Wait, he was on screen. It is intrinsically annoying. He has an annoying voice. Chris Tucker is trying to make his voice annoying, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But, it, you know, because that's what he wanted to do and it works. But um, I like how even Bruce Willis, like, he's a little annoyed at first. But they don't do, like, a whole extended, like, oh, they hate each other, but they're going to be buddies. But they're just pretty quickly pals. Yeah, they just <laughs> do what they need to do together. Um, I do, like, uh, the word is... Um, so I made a trip to New York, and mm. he had already had a few people turn this movie down. Met Bruce Willis, scanned the script, Bruce Willis read it for about 20 minutes, said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, so that's what we were talking about at the start. It is just Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is just a cool guy who wanted to do interesting films. Yeah, at this time, I mean, um, as much as I thought I meant, I'm going to give the slight uptick to 12 Monkeys, just because, whoa, that's a mind blower. But uh, Okay, yeah, but I feel like that's... Different kind. It's right? a different kind of mind blower, yeah, very that, much. It's that's like the plot. Mm. Whereas this, it's everything. Everything's a throwaway. Yeah. Like everything in this movie, except for the there's a core plot. That's why it works. Everything's a throwaway, which usually makes for a shit film. Right. But there is a core plot that. And the it's core tenuous. Plot, it's tenuous, but it holds. But it's also the core plot is so just elemental and biblical and basic, right? It's like 
good versus evil. We have to get good into the place it could defeat evil. They dumb it down a little bit by tying the romantic bow at the end. A bit. But yeah, they did the whole thing where like she loses faith. Is humanity worth saving? And he answers it by being hot. Yeah. Well, I, I remember um, part of the, the point in this movie is by the time she's asking that, is humanity worth saving? You should identify with that. <laughs> yeah. Which, um, you know, in the 90s, now it's pretty easy to do. In the 90s, it's a little harder to do, but they do it well in this movie. Yeah. 90s, you know, it's a nice bubble. Cold War is over. We're all bumping around, you know, 90, you know. It was, it was a time of calmness as opposed to the interesting times of come again of today. I remember when um, I was talking to our colleague Rob at work. I used the term post 9-11. That's a term. Yeah, but he acted like he'd, he seemed like he'd never heard that. I've heard but it. It's a very, like, um, That's in the a previous episode line. we talked about sci-fi, there's pre-Star Wars and post-Star Wars. In all of American culture, there is pre-9-11 and post-9-11. It's a pretty thick line right yeah and um, I, I here's my 9-11 story i was student teaching at the time it's in the morning in a trailer it's a geography class i'm trying to teach it's my turn to teach uh and dude the, the gym coach comes run through a door someone flew a plane to the world trade center in a in a southern accent i wasn't trying to sound stupid <laughs> um the first thought that went to my mind was like a biplane. <laughs> like, <laughs> boom, falling over. Right. So, yeah. And, and then, then we, um, then, of course, we could put the news on. They had TVs and I saw what actually happened. And then I was at the console, probably looking at the information I was supposed to be looking up and telling you the, the students the story I was supposed to be telling them. But uh, who knows what went on that day? There's some weird stuff. <laughs> well, I guess if we're doing this, I'll share my 9 11 story. Go for it. It was my 11th birthday. Oh, right. I got home from school and none of my cartoons were on. <laughs> and no one gave a shit about my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Happy 11th birthday, I, I, Luke. My clearest memory of 9 11 is I'm sat on the wall outside our house. And I've got this new, like, cool LCD Digimon game thing that I've been bought. And I want to show my friends. And they're just like, you look, man, you see the news? <laughs> I'm like, Did you see it's Digimon game? <laughs> I'm like, look, it's got all of them. I can, I can, I can read their profiles and it's got little pictures. No one cared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no. And then my 21st birthday then was the 10th anniversary. <laughs> You shouldn't have been born on September 11th, dude. Oh, my mum should have got knocked up on New Year. <laughs> this movie I, is... I can't confirm that's what happened. I've done the math, right? Yeah. I know I was also born a week late, so... I didn't, I didn't argue your math. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I thought you might be like, did Luke ask his mum when he was conceived? No, it sounded... <laughs> I mean, for me, I'm like, nine months, yes, of course. Okay, It's like the joke you don't need to explain, man. Right, I just worried that there were listeners at home thinking I'd watched the tape... <laughs> is this my conception? Wow! Has anyone, listeners, if you've ever watched a video of your conception, tell us about it. Someone has, right? I don't know. That's why no, I want to hear. There's a family out there that sat their kid down and showed them the video <laughs> of their conception. You think so? Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, this movie is definitely pre nine eleven. It just has this kind. Of, I think that's where the wackiness. Now, now when you have situations right. like this, it needs to have a certain gravitas. If they tried to do the same plot, especially the losing faith in humanity, the whole film would just be so grim. <laughs> Whereas but, this does a pretty dark, like that's a pretty dark arc. The whole thing is about the end of the world. 
But the film never feels grim. Well, it's what's going on at the time. I mean, the worst thing I remember going on in the news was, you know, the Prez was sticking cigars places where they shouldn't be going. The crazy thing about that is that they were reporting it like she was the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> She's an intern! He's the fucking president of the United States! <laughs> but no, she led him astray. <laughs> <laughs> Foul temptress. <laughs> was she like 26? Yeah. She was an, uh, maybe younger. She was an intern. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, look at who we got now, so. <laughs> <laughs> look at who we've had for the past 50 years. Well, we, uh, me being the American. Oh, hell, you got Mr. Heath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but hey, the president of this movie, I'll vote for him. Yeah, he seems pretty dope. Tiny. I'll vote for any president I think could defeat me inside of a steel cage. And he looks like he would rip me apart. Tommy Tiny Lister. Is that the actor's name? I don't know if that's the president or the actor's name. I think it might be the actor's name. I, I assume they didn't get the president. It's not Ving Rhames. That was my first thought. Because he does look a little Ving Rhames. A little bit, not. His eyes are a little I, def- I have different. seen this guy in stuff. He's in stuff. Why. Anyway, yeah, yeah. That's a president I'll stand for. Hell I, mean, yeah. I didn't. I didn't hear the scandals behind him, but... Uh, in this movie, he seems like an up... up Upstanding dude. I kind of remembered him being portrayed as a doofus, but he's not really at all. No, he's I mean, not. I, I must have combined it with another film in my head, because, yeah. He, like I said at the start, he quickly just is like, okay, yeah, I agree. Oh, oh, they're spaceships. Um, one disconnect, this might be a little bit of a filmmaking flaw. Mm. President's on Earth, right? Mm. And he's, he's not in the ship. It just felt like he was in the ship a lot, to me. I felt like he was on the ship. But the thing yeah, I really... They're cutting back and forth between him and the guy. Yeah, I know. I guess the room he's in is very, like, a bridge of a ship. Yeah, right? that's probably what threw me off. Um, but what I want to say about the ship is this spaceship is like an aircraft carrier and a star destroyer. Fucked. Very much so. <laughs> I, there's, like, a shot especially where you're, like, seeing it from behind and it's got the big lights like a star destroyer. But, you know, all spaceships are pretty phallic, right? <laughs> But in the no, one... no, no, my fucked part isn't about it being Valley, no, no, no. it's just the story story of the yeah. aircraft carrier. Stunk. All stuck together. <laughs> and then the one they fly to Flotsam on is just a... Uh, it's like a Flotsam. mini... It's just a... It looks like a Concorde, right? Yeah, oh, that one, that one. Sorry, I was thinking... I think I think a Zorg ship looked like, like a miniature Millennium Falcon. Zorg ship's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the cockpit thing going and all that. Chakra turns to silicone, here trapped within the utopia. Calling countdown for your day's finale. One thing I never quite caught here, is this is this the Earth ending or the universe ending? I'd always assumed universe. I did but too. Watching but... it this time, it, it's like it's heading for Earth. Yeah. And then, oh, we'll be, we'll be back in time to save Earth. Don't worry. So maybe it's just Earth? I, I always saw his universe, and I had a question watching but, it this time. Yeah, maybe it just it has to hit Earth to destroy the universe, but... Which means those um, mechanic-looking aliens are just trying to help out. Yeah, mm. which just makes them even nicer. Like, just, they just seem like nice guys. Yeah, the one dude's like, I'm going to be stuck in this chamber forever. Here's your key. 
Yeah. At the beginning, that's cool. Or maybe every planet with life has its own ultimate evil that just comes every 5,000 years. <laughs> Is it just this one? <laughs> nobody in this movie seems that concerned about the end of whatever. If it's Earth, and maybe, like, um, Zorg has somehow, like, invested cleverly in the stock so that he will profit greatly from Earth, it it's understandable. Yeah, right? he might have if it's the universe, plan. why would you ever agree to help? <laughs> you know, you live it. Like, there's the line in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, where, like, why have you decided to try and help save the galaxy? Because I'm one of the idiots who lives in it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that goes back to the, uh, where we were talking about the Australian fires. I mean, people were doing things there that I guess you can run off to another country, but are definitely, uh, you know, you get money while you're totally destroying that country. But, yeah, the thing is, we are also pretty much destroying the earth. Yeah. <laughs> like, where are you going to go after that? Short-term profits is not going to help you in long term. We're all going to drown. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're start breathing methane or something, yeah. Throw oh, some ice miles, nine right? into the sky. We can all be, um... We already fucked up Mars, man. That's one ancient alien theory. We already fucked up Mars. Oh. Uh, what are the other ancient alien theories? We got some in here. Yeah, well, this... This film, 97. When did Stargate come out? 94, I think. Okay. Because in my head, I conflate them a lot. Because they both start with fucking space shit happening in Egypt. This was definitely after Stargate. The okay. movie. TV show, I don't quite remember. Maybe about this time. About this time, film. yeah. Oh, that's earlier than I thought for the movie. Movie's pretty good. When's Independence Day then? Uh, I think Independence Day is 96, one year earlier than this. Possibly the same year. I don't quite remember. It's it's okay. definitely around the same time. Yeah, because those are the ones I remember. It's like the 90s sci-fi Stargate. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Independence Day doesn't really get into the ancient aliens, though. No, the same director as Stargate. Oh, right, okay. Because <laughs> I thought that was 94. No, I'm just thinking ID no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I remember because uh, my, my, my friend still hates Independence Day. He went to see it with the flu. Ah. Still hates it. I love Independence Day with a passion. <laughs> another, I think he's Belgian, not French. But another director making American films and Americans don't realize he's taking the piss out of them. <laughs> well, when we do Independence Day, I'll make sure to bring in the guest, the guy that hates it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I try and watch it every Independence Day. Okay. Despite being a Brit. <laughs> well, this year I'll we'll hook you up with someone who hates it. Okay. Not too, well, I'll say not too many people hate this film, but I guess a lot of people do hate this film. Oh, I'm sure there are people who hate this film. Uh, end of the world, though. And uh, So we're, we're coming down the... This is just Earth ending with its own ultimate evil. I, I genuinely don't know, but I think that's all where they're explicitly told. Is yeah. Earth. Both of us just made the switch having just watched it, I think. Before, like, a month ago, I'd be like, yeah, it's ending the universe. Yeah. But they call it the ultimate evil and blah, blah, blah. With all yeah. the aliens about, it seems like lower stakes. Maybe that's why nobody cares that much. Mm. The priest cares, but he's kind of goofy about it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, presumably there are a lot of people living on Earth. Oh, of course. But then the num the president gives a number of how many people he's saving, and it seems too high to live on Earth. He says, like, I'm trying to save 80 billion of my fellow, fellow citizens or something like that. Yeah, they might have some good hydroponics. Yeah. I mean, it does look pretty crowded in New York City. True. Living on that cloud of fart now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure, but... I, but it's, again, it's just very generic. Bruce doesn't seem to care much and his apartment's there. How does, how far into the film are we before he believes? I don't think he, I think he just doesn't care. 
Maybe. He's well, like, yeah, he doesn't care about anything at the start of the film, does he, right? Yeah, he cares about he cares about Lilu at the end, but otherwise he's just kind of Bruce is mostly just an Here's the thing. Both um Corbin Dallas and Lilu are mostly just observers. Yeah. They have they have that one big battle at the end they do get the fifth element thing going with the stones and otherwise they're not really the movers and shakers of this movie. Well, she's just been born. Yeah, that's a good excuse. And he's like he didn't just care. had a divorce. His squad were killed in whatever war he fought in. So he's just like... Jaded. Jaded. So yeah, they're both like, you've got like the priest and the president who are like panicking about it. And they're just like... Oh, yeah, but the president's not help. panicking. He's too cool. Yeah, true. <laughs> he's like, that didn't work. Let's do something oh, no, else. There's, there's a few scenes where he seems like... Like when they're listening to um, Ruby's record, like radio show, mm, as he's going down, and he's pretty pissed off about it. Well, he he's just he's got such oh, he's base. it's approval. Such bass in his voice is great. He's a very cool dude. He's very cool. Is he the coolest? Guy? Who's who's the coolest person in this movie? There's a lot of cool people in this movie. Really? It's not Zorg, unless you're psychotic. Then Zorg's the coolest. Zorg's henchman's pretty cool. The British accent and, like, the open shirt and the tie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I like... Was it one of his henchmen that shaved, like, half of his head? Was, like, isn't he that had... Zork himself, isn't it? Zork, too. He's got, like, the weird plastic thing. No, this guy just had half of his head shaved. And the other There's half lots of cool hair. I'm like, how stuff. long did that extra have to keep that haircut? <laughs> I've thought about trying that many a time. Mm. I rock the bald head currently. Yeah. I try and grow back half of it. Sometimes, if during vacation, I tend not to shave... So when I first shave, sometimes I'll shave just half my face, just for like an hour. And then once, once, I, I, I shaved into De Fruer and then went in to have breakfast just to see what would happen. No one noticed. De Because it's Japan and De Fruer. Oh, a little, okay. <laughs> I only kept it for like 30 minutes and then I shaved it off. It's just, just the chaplain, it's fine. We're bringing it back. It's the chaplain. It was for a- the longest time, I, that's the one bit I couldn't grow. Mm. I had like you know the very French like the two sides of the moustache <laughs> the middle wouldn't join up <laughs> so I was like well, at least I know I'm not a Nazi I can't grow it did you hear about there's a, a clothing store in North India do you know what I'm talking about no it was called Hitler okay and it came under fire of course yeah and when they when they interviewed the owners they were just like we heard he was a very strict man and we wanted our clothing to be you know strict <laughs> That's not a good explanation. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe they didn't know? I don't know. Well, there's that other clothing brand, which is popular even back home. It's called, like, Boy. But it's just a big Nazi eagle. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what uh, we mentioned, we're, we're down with the, the proper swastika, the one that's for love and light and balance. Uh, usually goes the other way, by the way. But. Yeah, and also it's not at the angle it's directly straight up. Yeah, the angle's different. Yes. I'm still not 100% used to just seeing it on maps. I'm um, not either, but... But mostly on there. Yeah, we bring that that one back into its uh, take horrible signs and reclaim them for things that are better. A thing to do. Yeah, there you go. Oh my! Yeah, it's just it's just the Nazi eagle, but with the word boy. Okay, what did, what search you did? Boy clothing Nazi. Do that <laughs> search. Get your mind a little bit blown. Whoa! <laughs> that is not a boy. Boy London fashion brand rejects concern over Nazi logo. Headline in the Jewish Chronicle. <laughs> now, Ruby Rod wears a lot of leopard skin, right? Yeah. That's like that's like the MK Ultra um, sex kitten sign. Okay. You, you mind control someone to be a sex kitten, you put them in leopard. I don't know. When I see leopard print these days, I just think of, like, cougar. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, 
No one young thinks that's sexy. Well, this movie's 1997. Yeah, I guess so maybe I that was still sexy then. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I'm a man, I, I don't really... I don't have... I, I, I do have fashion sense. I try not to look like an asshole. Or someone... Well, I don't want to look like someone who gave up. We, we, I think we both very deliberately try and not dress normal. Mm. Like, we, we always wear the most colourful suits at work and stuff like that. I'm like, you're here in your Beach Boys bright green t-shirt. I've got my Mario jacket and my podcast t-shirt. I try and look interesting. And I do like to look cool sometimes, but I've never been fifth element cool. No. Maybe if I was rich, I would like to. Sometimes late at night, I, when I go to the 7-Eleven, I got my, my Starfleet shirt on, but I usually have a jacket over it. Nice. It is kind of warm. Me and my buddy both went to school in us Star Trek uniforms once in sixth form. Yeah. What I, I did is... We were sat next to each other in philosophy class, and the teacher was, like, taking the piss out of us, calling us nerds. And he's like, did you guys plan this? That's so lame. And I was like, wait, what would be more lame if we planned this because we thought it was funny, or if we both just coincidentally thought it would be good to come to school in Star Trek uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> That's a philosophy question. Good for the, did it work? Was it good for the class? <laughs> they laughed. Which has always been my goal when I talked about <laughs> That was always my goal in school. When I was in the sixth or seventh grade, I, that's, that's why I started doing music, right? Like, seriously. Mm. And my buddy and I, we, 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 there was crisscross. Mm. A couple teenagers, their, their, their shtick was, uh, you know, like pop hip-hop, and their shtick was wearing their clothes backwards. So okay, okay. we both went to the boys' bathroom and, and, and put our clothes on backwards and came back into class. <laughs> <laughs> Teacher sent us back, had them nice. back. <laughs> Although, another, another one for me as well. There was one, the kid I used to sit next to in my psychology class, we both came in one day and we were wearing the exact same outfit. So it was black boots, black jeans, a black hoodie with a leather jacket over the top. And we were like, this looks ridiculous. We look like we've planned our outfit. The next day, we both came to school in a suit because we were both trying to go as far the opposite of what we'd worn the day before. We should so be... well, now it looks like we genuinely plan our outfits together. <laughs> well, I, I keep showing up wearing the same stuff as the, the guy with my name at work, but with a Y at the end. Yeah, we haven't quite, the three of us, all come in in our black shirt and pants, but it's almost happened a few times. I think we've always had my superpower is showing up in someone else's suit. <laughs> I mean, like a twin suit, not the same one. But. We can get away with that, but that apparently is like a big faux pas for women, I don't know. <laughs> Still annoys me that at work we have to wear uncomfortable suits, mm. and the clothes that the female teachers get away of wearing look way more comfortable. <laughs> but then also we don't spend an hour doing makeup, so... Yeah, that's a, there's a trade-off there. I, everyone in this movie spent a few hours doing makeup, I think. Yeah, and they look amazing. Maybe I should start wearing makeup. We should both show up showing up looking like Ruby Rod tomorrow at work. <laughs> I would love to. I'm going to go find a leopard print suit. <laughs> In Matt's world, this movie still pretty high on in the stratosphere but did it really hold up do people think about the fifth element now i well we this is our first episode someone requested we do this film yeah so i'm assuming chris so, Gilly, if you're out there listening you love this movie <laughs> we got one <laughs> my so my last just my last job before i came to japan i was working in a restaurant uh my manager 
fucking loves the fifth element. He has the symbol tattooed on his wrist. Oh, that's hardcore. His um, social media using him everywhere is just multi-pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's a very gay man. Okay. So maybe it's like a, like a cult following. But, but it was a blockbuster, so... Uh, yeah, but I don't feel like you... it's... Like you said, people don't talk about it as an influential film. Yeah, it kind of was. But it definitely was. Yeah. People loved it. I wonder why this is just not a film that's talked about. Well, a lot of people hated it at the same time. Maybe, maybe. Here's the thing. Uh, I mentioned, like, they push a lot of stuff in your face here. There's, like, kind of gay stuff. There's, you know, weird stuff. There's... It's, it, but it's never explicitly gay. It's just... That's it my just point. It's just gender norms. It's just, there it is. It's yeah. like, now in a movie, you need to make it clear, like, yes, this character is gay as shit, and he's going to have three lines that make you assured of that. Where Ricky <laughs> Rod... Those are going to be his only three lines in the film, because he's just here to tick a box. Right. <laughs> Ruby Rod, they never say he's gay, they never say he's bi, they never say anything. You just got to make what you want to out of well, Ruby Rod. All we see of him is that he's explicitly straight. <laughs> We see that he wants to bang chicks. But like you said, if it had been a male flight attendant, he might have done the same thing. Right, but I think... I don't think it's pushing any sort of gay angle. It's pushing a, like, fashion and lifestyle... Like, base, gender is a construct. Yeah. So, like, his sexuality is pro- might be entirely straight. You know what's but, better in Ruby like, Rod, though? that doesn't mean that he can't dress like that and act right. like that and talk like that. You know what's better in Ruby Rod, though? What's that? Princess loves sexy album. Right. Have you seen Is that the, the one we saw in the... Yeah, we saw it in the shop, remember? He was on Naked? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we saw it in Tower Records. That, out- that it. easily out Ruby Rod's Ruby Rod. Well, yeah, of course. And but like you said, they were aiming for Prince, right? And yeah. You, you know. They did ask for the him Prince, first. So you still land on the moon. Chris, Chris <laughs> Tucker was the right person to ask. Yeah. But Prince was the first person to ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could not ask him before asking Chris Tucker for this kind of a role. Right. But like, yeah, um... Sometimes it disappoints me that I'm such a like specimen of masculinity, because I I do dislike the idea of gender norms, but unfortunately, I like having big muscles and I like watching football and I like drinking beer and I like women, so I don't really push many of the gender norms. I like wearing pink. I wear a lot of pink. You said you cut out the beer this year. I'm clearly not, but oh uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, so far I'm trying it. Yeah, yeah. Most of the way in January, that's 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 groovy. There was man, there was a time that I would have been hammered three times a week for the this part this much far into January. But... <laughs> well, the thing, it's not like I right now. I have to quit the booze. It's just like I noticed I don't really drink anymore. So like, well, why don't I just try not drinking at all? So yeah, I see where you're coming from. That that makes sense. It's not like I spent 2019 off my off my trolley, and I'm like, okay, 2020, gotta pack in the booze. No, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I'm just noting you made that that yeah. choice. Which, uh, if I had gone several days, I might make the same choice, but <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, well, I, I I noticed like, oh, I didn't drink at all over New Year. Because yeah. I was you know traveling and I was pretty much on my own, so I don't really like to drink on my own. And yeah, here I am. Where do you go? Maybe I just went. Uh, I had a, I had a second point at that point. So about the like the this film pushing like gender boundaries. I like how it pushes that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I I I think this is one of the better big films to do that. Just but it, it just feels it makes it feel more like the future. Yeah. Because it doesn't look like today. Yeah, it looks better, right? It looks... Oh, oh, I was gonna get to um, yeah. I just, I just like the uh, Bruce Manniness thrown in like a real tight fitting um, orange um, tank top and. Oh yeah, he's got like the mesh like elbow things and. 
It's he looks the, like he's going to a rave. Yeah. He, it, he pulls it off because it's just he's in this world where that's how people dress. Is this the last time Bruce showed off his guns? Yeah. Oh, well, I think he does a bit once you get to, like, Die Hard 4 and he's making his comeback. That was for the special scene, though. He had to work out a bit for that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Here, yeah, I think... This, I think it's the last time that's just how Bruce Willis looked. Yeah, I think he just showed up for this film. It didn't look like he trained for it or anything. He just... Oh, well, yeah, shape. because he's not that, like... That Schwarzenegger buff, where it's, like, bodybuilder. Right, right. And he's not that modern Hollywood buff, where it's just 0% body fat. He's buff in a way that he looks like he could also actually have a life. He looks like he goes for a walk every once in a while. Yeah, he, looks, he looks like a <laughs> guy a who is fairly strong and fit, because, well, he's an ex-soldier, supposedly. But he still looks like a human being. They could have left that out and still had this movie work. Like, oh, you no, better she I, has a relation, go after her. No, but I feel like... Um... Oh, you mean the soldier angle? Yeah, they could have cut right. that out and just being, you know her, please follow her. Right. This is but, the government um, asking you. He also then does a load of action stuff, so... He stumbles through it, kind of. Well, no, okay, no, he, has, no, he no. has a few notable, once, like, once I know what I'm doing. he has a gun in his hand and he's fighting bad guys, he kicks You're right. Butt, yeah, right? he knows what he's doing in a few scenes. Okay, good point. But, um, I like that he got a bunch of topless showing-off scenes. <laughs> because this is a film where everyone is eye candy. Men, women, Yes, whatever. yes, I like that. If um, they'd had, like, all of the Lilu stuff and not given us any men... Then you'd be like, ah, oh, you know, this is very cinema, blah, blah, blah. I've, I've heard complaints uh, that Lilu's the only feminine role, and she only gets one action scene, and the other females in the movies are like, you know, McDonald's in stripper outfits or flight attendants in stripper outfits and stuff. There's the diva, but that is definitely... But all the men are in those outfits, too. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't... And they also... Do- Chris Willis only really gets one action scene. Yeah, I didn't say that's my complaint. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just no, saying no, that no, is no, a but, complaint. Uh, yeah, I... Because I'm not someone who fights against those complaints in films for the most part. But I don't think it's fair to level against this film. Mm. Like, I hate that about most films. <laughs> I think this film actually does a pretty good job with that stuff. So what's the message? What's the message of this movie? Um, fuck capitalism, but also fuck each other. Oh, okay. Mine was, war! Huh! Good God, y'all. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. That's my message. No, that's the other Chris Tucker film. Oh, okay. He sings that in one of the Rush Hours. Fuck, he does. I haven't seen Rush Hour for a real long time. Me too. I only found out the other day that's a Rush Hour TV show. That's... That it looks shit. Yeah, I saw an advert for it at the gym. Hey, um... Because Rush Hour is it's a film which only exists because of its two leads, right? Yeah. It's not like, oh, we've got this amazing premise. It's like, okay, we've got Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan make up a film for them. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing about War Man... About War Man. The song War. Edwin Starr's is fine. That's the one's Good God. Mm. Temptation's version is better, but he says good God in the wrong place. Yep, yeah, I don't... When you sang it, I don't recognize good God in that place. Oh. So I'm more familiar with the other version. That's the better version anyway. But yeah. Edward Sharp's good, and it's a good version. But I'm used to war. What is it good for? No, I, I'm not adding the good God in there. No, I'm pretty sure Edwin Starr does that. Okay. Motown. Oh. Yeah, oh. That, that is one of the messages of this film. Yeah, it, it's, it's a film which has, it kind of feels more relevant today than when it came out. Yet it couldn't come out today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, what a film. I love this film. Yeah, you have to make more of a statement now if you want to do it. You know, you have to like, like paint out that Ruby Rod. He's been, he's been made this way because of his past, because this happened, this happened. and No, it's just Ruby Rod. Yeah. It's fine. He's just Bruce Will. Oh, he's Bruce Will. Corbin Dallas. She's just Corbin Dallas. It's fine. Lilu, okay, she was born in this film, so yeah. we won't put that on her, but. <laughs> Zorg. 
What is he good for? Absolutely Zorg! Yeah. I okay. like um, I like Gary Oldman in everything, but no, if I like Gary Oldman. Anytime I hear about him in like interviews and shit, he sounds like a bit of a dick. He, he doesn't like this film. He doesn't like this film. An idiot. He's <laughs> a good actor, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. He deserved the Oscar more than um, Heath Ledger did. He deserves the Oscar, but I don't want to talk to you about The Fifth Element. Yeah. You being Gary Oldman. Well, um, who's I recently, the person listening to this podcast. I recently found my favorite actor to for quote on anything is um, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Apparently, anytime he's asked about his opinion on this, his opinion on that, he says, don't ask me, actors are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Correct. You know, yeah. you know, like, Gary Oldman, he's great in films. I don't know if I want to know his opinion on anything else. <laughs> so, Fifth Element, experience it again. You'll experience it somewhat differently in 2020 than you might have in 1997 or a few years intervening. Yeah, I'm very glad I rewatched it. And it surprised me. I thought I'd seen it a lot. But rewatching it, it felt very fresh. I forgot about the tone of the movie completely. Same. <laughs> I guess because I just remembered moments. And the moments on their own are very, like you said, it's just this sci-fi, that sci-fi. It's very generic sci-fi stuff, right? Spaceships and fight scenes. and But it's the, like, it's the tone. It's the, the sense of wackiness, the costumes, the music is what makes it work. This is the only movie that has this tone, I think. Yeah. There's nothing else like this. I want to see more of his stuff now. <laughs> like, when, what you watched of Variance, did it feel like this? Yeah. It kind of, with more digital stuff, but it, right. it did have the candy-coated Technicolor blast in your face. But did it feel as wacky? Uh, it's weird. It's, honestly, strange. it's been a year and a half since I was... <laughs> it's, been, it, it's been a year and a half since I did that, so... Oh, we'll watch this space. Maybe we'll do that one. Yeah. I want to do Lucy first, to be honest. But oh, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen that film, but I've heard it's mental, so... I kind of like that one. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, the only other one of his films I've seen is Leon, and this is not like Leon. No, it's not like Leon. Although Gary Oldman is pretty much playing the same role. Yeah. Anyway, uh, where do they find us? We, um, yeah, you start on that, I guess. Okay, well, you can find the podcast on Twitter at MLSFSpod, and then you can also find it on Facebook, and now YouTube... Just search Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Subscribe! We used to say that and didn't make any sense, but now it does. Subscribe. You can subscribe to Apple, too, I think. Yeah, like and subscribe, and then if you're on, you know, a normal podcasting app, then you can rate and review, share it with people, you know, all that jazz, all that good stuff. We would like to hear from you. Tell us why this movie sucks at all, you know? You can do that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, please, please leave a comment down below. That's what people say on YouTube, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, if there's films you want us to cover... Do get in touch, because we're pretty happy to do it. If it's sci-fi, then we'll find time for it. Yeah, we, we plan weird months uh, in between. Because, uh, oh, we oh, didn't say the Welcome beginning. to Fuck Off February. Fuck <laughs> Off February or Fuck You February? I said fuck you, but now that you said fuck off, I almost like I'm kind of cool with that. Welcome to fucking February. There we go. <laughs> four films, four F-bombs. <laughs> <laughs> They're not all bombs, though. No, I don't think any of them are, actually. No, no, no. Well, we'll, we'll see. I haven't watched all of them yet. <laughs> well, I mean financially, at least. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway, this has been Matt. This has been Luke. And for February, you should... Get the fuck out of us, five... Get the fuck out of our five, 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 five. Get the fuck out of here! This is a fucking fuck, a fuck, a fuck, fair. Fuck!
You've got an hour and a half to join us for the fifth element. Oh god, <laughs> I wish. I love fifth element, but I've not watched it in a very long time. But there is a connection between Frozen Two and the fifth element significantly. <laughs> please, please tell us that before we. Because we haven't seen Frozen Two, we'll bring it up in the show, man. Let me just include this clip. <laughs> no, Fro- Frozen Two. I mean, the Frozen movies are basically like X Men stories. But Frozen 2, um, I would say if, if you're not opposed to having a spoiler on that, Elsa is basically the fifth element. That's the big reveal. She is the fifth uh, element. Okay, because I've had students coming and they're like, they're like, usually oh, I saw this movie. Did you like, oh, it's interesting. Oh, it was good. I loved it. And I've had students like, I don't know what was happening. Um, <laughs> that is absolutely true. We even have the golden book version and my mind is still, I don't even know what I'm reading. Yeah, because in Japan, you know, like, you know, kids don't pe- kids don't tell you they didn't like something, so, or didn't get it. They're like, "Oh, it's great," you know. So, but now we're like, "What happened?" No, it's it's very. This is the first time I've been interested in seeing this film. Yeah, really. Uh, it's it's very strange, but yeah, there's a whole like earth, air, water, fire thing, and she's like, "Where do I fit in?" Da da. That's an easy answer. Yep. <laughs> is the fifth element now if she'd you know if she'd tear her clothes off and she's in the Lilu costume that would have been insane I, I can link you to some websites my friend oh, I'm sure. I don't doubt that <laughs>